dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. In his encyclical letter, Rerum Novarum, Pope Leo XIII makes an astounding claim. He claims that the involvement of religion in the affairs of the state and the economy is necessary as a means to regulate and perfect the potentials of the same. The same can be applied to each one of us in our workplaces where we lead. Understanding how our faith impacts the well-running of our offices can help us be convinced of the power of our faith in our business. All right, everybody, welcome back to the St. John Leadership Network. We're doing a course here, the fourth and final one called The Jewels in Rerum Navarum. Now, obviously, that title is not the most attractive of all the titles possible because we don't know what Rerum Navarum is. But basically, it's a letter that the Pope wrote back in 1891, and it's all about the economy and the role of the worker, the role of the state, and the role of the church in preserving the rights of the workers, uh, and that is of labor against the unfettered control of capital, right? So against all these things, to us can sound kind of boring. You could say, why is this even something I should be looking at? And it reason is a couple. Number one, historically, this is the argument that led to communism. And this letter was really the Pope trying to stave off a communist revolution, which unfortunately swept over the world. So historically, it's kind of a big deal, right? Because the, the, the principles of communism is to say that there's a division between capital and labor, which is irreconcilable and which lends to itself towards violence. And when that violence shakes, the, the institution shakes the world, a new world order emerges, one in which there is no more strife uh, of the poor against the rich. And so the Pope is saying, well, we agree with that premise that we don't want there to be strife between the poor and the rich. Uh, but is there another way to achieve the balance besides violence? And he'd like to say, yes, in fact, there is. He says, it's Christian virtue. If we could get people to actually live a life that was pointed towards heaven and which embraced the full depths of a humanity over and above the, the life of the economy or the material well-being of their bodies, well, then we would be able to, to push back against the temptation to rock the world by revolution and instead win the world over by mutual agreement and by collaboration and cooperation where society is well balanced out and where everyone can achieve the basics that they need in order to thrive and to survive. Well, so he has, in other words, a way that he's trying to avoid a communist revolution. Now, communism, of course, is, continues to threaten uh, our societies. And so this document can continue to provide an interesting counterpoint. But more practically than, than that, you've got this, the realism that the same tensions between labor and capital that he describes here exist today. And we who are business leaders 
are, it's very important that we're aware of the, the forces of economic disparity and what the Catholic Church teaches as ter in terms of our rights and duties to protect and preserve our workers. Now, I'd like to stretch it even further, though, and say that what he says here in terms of economic conditions can actually be seconded and extended into the, the domain of moral conditions, of intellect, of natural giftedness, etc., that is that we're constantly going to be confronted by the fact that we are living in a world of haves and have nots at many levels. And there's a philosophy around us that says you should, in fact, let those who have not rebel and form a revolution in one way or another against those who have. And you should make those who have feel very guilty for having. And that can get into our mindset. And we who are leading in an office environment or in a workplace environment, we can either take the attitude of saying that, atti that, that attitude and that idea is, 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 is antithetical to the goodness of what I'm trying to do. And so I got to crush it out, in which case we can end up wounding the poor uh, or being materialistically greedy or right and, and proud and all these things and haughty. And that's not Christian. And on the other hand, we can surround ourselves with feeling guilty and condemning ourselves for success and then actually undermine the very uh, effort that we're working so hard to establish. And that also is not Christian. In other words, it's not you know, plunging our society into an economic downfall just to assure the rights of the poor against the rich is not a way to secure those rights long term. In the end, it's just a way to make everyone poor and then it lose the freedoms of the economy, which the church has always defended in order to become a government run um, nation. And of course, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. So in the middle of those two consequences shines forth a glorious idea that I want you to embrace. It's the idea that you embodying the true Christian principles of virtue, of faith, of charity, are a boon to our secular society, regardless of faith. And I say this uh, in terms of like an explicit uh, proclamation asking people to believe in Jesus. And I say this because of most of you sitting here right now, you're saying to yourself, well, I don't want to bring, I can't bring faith into my work. I'm not allowed to. If I go around talking about Jesus all the time, etc., we've transgressed the, the bonds and the agreement, the mutual social compact that we've made as coworkers, which is to get a job done. It's not, we're not here for church. In other words, we're here to do something. And I like to address that and say, well, I mean, actually, you know, I'm not talking about doing a proclamation of faith, asking people to believe. I'm talking about acting in, and deciding uh, on things and casting a vision and influencing your workplace environment through your leadership by values and by a vision that comes from faith. This doesn't impose anything, therefore, on anyone in terms of a personal adherence, but it generates a genuine culture that preserves the balance between the haves and the have-nots at every level, from talent to knowledge to position in the company to money and economy and to the, the division of hard labor versus white-collar work or whatever you want to think of it. That division is mitigated 
by the influence of a truly Christian leader. This is what the Pope puts way back in 1891 in terms uh, of the balance of, of the importance of the role of the church in society. But I, we can apply that same thing to the importance of you as a Christian leader in your workplace. As a matter of fact, I think it's urgent that we do. So just to, to put a nice point on this, people ask me all the time, Father Nathan, what does faith have to do with business? And I'd like to say this, it has as much to do with business as you have to do with business, okay? In, in other words, you are all about your business. Faith is all about you. If faith is all about transforming you and you are in your business, then faith will transform the business through you. And this is why we all need to step forward, assume our responsibility as leaders. And when we do that and we genuinely lead inspired by the gospel and by the power of Christ, we're able to bring his influence there into the culture of the, of the working environment in which if we work 40 to 50 hours a week, we end up spending literally one half of our waking hours. I want you just to consider that. Right? I'd hate to think that a place where I've got to spend one half of my waking hours of my life from age 20 to 60 should have nothing to do with my, who I am and forming me or allowing me to form it. On the contrary, the fact is my working environment is an extension of me. And since I am an extension of Christ, he's going to extend who he is and he wants to extend who he is and what he does through me there. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So the encyclical letter Rerum Navarum by Pope Leo XIII is uh, really an important historical document because in it, Pope Leo XIII lays out the rights of the worker and he does it very for, the, for the very first time, I mean, in, a, in such explicit fashion, talking about the industrial world, the changes that it's made on societies. And he says, if we don't start to defend the worker and especially you know the poor worker, then we're going to end up with a revolution on our hands and we don't want that, right? So, I mean, that's, of course, my paraphrasing of this document, but it's, a, it's an accurate paraphrase. And it's one that I think you can think back to in terms of modern day parlance of saying that this means how do I keep my workplace morale up? And how do I keep everyone motivated to do their best, to excel, to give who they are as members of the team? If we allow people who are less gifted or less skilled or less knowledgeable to be relegated to a place of irrelevance, well, then we're, we're going to be generating a low morale that will increase uh, employee departure. It'll decrease our productivity. It will keep us from developing our people accurately, etc. So even though this is spoken of in terms of the Industrial Revolution, 1891, it's very applicable to what we have today. And you can apply this also even in your families, right? How, how do I balance the fact that some of my children are very gifted and we want to push them um, with the fact that we want everyone to feel their giftedness? 
We have to find the ways that each child can apply themselves in their giftedness and excel. Well, that takes a lot of work and that takes a certain leadership and a governance that, that is well-formed and, and that has a lot of training behind it. And that's what we're trying to do here with this, with this particular encyclical. So let's take a look at paragraph 40 where Pope Leo really lays out some beautiful teaching. I'm just going to read this for you because it's, it's awesome just to see how on target the church was and how inspirational uh, she is in being very specific to all of us business leaders about what the, the rights of the working person actually are. He says, number one, that the very first uh, right of a working person is the right to develop their soul and from this comes the right to perform the religious duties on Sundays. Now, isn't that interesting? Uh, it, so obviously in the Catholic Church, it's kind of easy because we have Saturday night, Sunday morning, and even Sunday night masses. But when an employee makes a legitimate assertion that they'd like to be able to go to Sunday mass at one of those times, you owe it to them to allow them to fulfill their duty. Uh, their religious purpose, because that's what it means to protect and to have a human being who works for you. Secondly, they have the right to be protected from the cruelty of men of greed who use human beings as mere instruments for money-making. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? I love this older language, right? 1891, but I love that, right? He said, you, it is neither just nor human. So to grind men down with excessive labor as to stupefy their minds and wear out their bodies. Man's powers, like his general nature, are limited, and beyond these limits he cannot go. His strength is developed and increased by use and exercise, but only on condition of due intermission and proper rest. Daily labor, therefore, should be so regulated as to not be protracted over longer hours than strength admits." Now you could apply and go from this even further and say, actually, then therefore you need to think, I can't ask my employees to work so much that their life at home becomes impossible. Now, what does that look like in reality? Of course, it depends on so many circumstances, but it's, it's interesting just to see that and hear the church saying, you've got to allow people to rest. Here's a, a good one. So both with Sunday rest and then the limit of working hours and the limit of working conditions, he has this great paragraph. Now listen to this, and I want you, you to apply this to yourselves too, okay? Because it's for a second, I'm going to go pause for a second. Because here we're talking about the poor who, who have jobs and which whom we may employ, for example, or maybe we are part of the, the, the working world, and we can say, okay, it's good that I know these rights. Uh, but remember this, we have to apply the same principle to ourselves and to our bodies, right? Because sometimes we can push ourselves so far that we don't respect the day of the Lord for rest and we don't respect our own need to stop and to recoup our, our strength. And we say, oh, no, no, I can keep on pushing it. Here's this great paragraph. This is a direct quote from Pope Leo. He says, in all agreements between masters and work people, there is always the condition expressed or understood that there should be allowed proper rest for soul and body. To agree in any other sense would be against what is right and just. For it can never be just or right to require on the one side or to promise on the other the giving up of those duties which a man owes to his God and to himself. That's <laughs> very powerful, right? 
we have a duty also to ourselves to allow ourselves to have that religious exercise that we properly do as Christians anyway by Sunday Mass and also by allowing ourselves do leisure and rest. That's just really a powerful thing. Earlier on in the dark document though, he was even more explicit uh, for us. And I want to just read this because I know it's hard to have these long quotes, but I want you to hear it uh, because it gives a nice list even for you to be aware of that the church just doesn't say that we can do anything with workers. A lot of our modern HR laws, for example, actually come from the Catholic Church's defense of the working person. All right. This is paragraph 20. He says, the following duties bind the proletarian and the worker. So this is what workers owe to their bosses. Number one, to fully and faithfully perform the work which has been freely and equitably agreed upon. Number two, never to injure the property nor to outrage the person of an employer. Okay, that's obvious. These do your work. Don't destroy the things or hurt the employer. Three, never to resort to violence in defending their own cause, nor to engage in riot or disorder. Okay, so it's the church condemning uh, rioting, for example. And to have nothing to do with men of evil principles. Number four, who work upon the people with artful promises of great results and excite, excite foolish hopes, which usually end in useless regrets and grievous loss. Okay, so in other words, you need to stay away from bad people. All right, and now the following duties bind the wealthy owner and the employer. So here, from a business leader, these are duties that you have to give to your, your, your workers. Number one, not to look upon their work people as their slaves. Now, how about that? <laughs> really important. And that's a mental shift. I'm not just using people. I'm working with people, but I'm not using them. I can't have that mindset, right? To respect every man in his dignity as a person ennobled by a Christian character. Number two, according to natural reason and Christian philosophy, working for profit is creditable, not shameful to a man since it enables him to earn an honorable livelihood. It's really great. So he defends the right of profit. But, he says, to misuse men as though they were things in the pursuit of gain, or to value them solely for their physical powers, that is shameful and inhuman. Right? So he can, strong condemnation. Look, you can gain a profit, but you mustn't devalue the people who are giving you that value of money. Right? You, have to, you have to always honor them as people. He goes, an employer is bound to see that the worker has time for his religious duties. He cannot be exposed to corrupting influences in dangerous occasions, right? You have to, the safety of the worker. And that he not be led away to neglect his home and family or to squander his earnings. Really important. The role, in other words, of the business owner here or the person who pays the, the paycheck is to keep, make sure that the person's able to live a good life and is not asked to work so much that his home and family cannot be developed. He goes on with three more things. He says, you can't tax your people beyond their strength. You cannot employ them in work unsuited to their sex and age. And finally, you've got to pay them a fair wage. I want to take the time just to read that paragraph 20 to you because it's great to see it so specific for us, okay? And, and to see also the church at the forefront 
of many of the labor laws that would then become enshrined in our civil society. Before society was able to protect the worker effectively, the Catholic Church was there signaling and pointing the way to defend the poor to be able to live off of a day's wage, a principle that continues to be what guides the unions, for example, and all of their work and in so many other efforts in our society today. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So having looked at uh, Rerum Navarum's treatment of the understanding of the rights of the worker and the duties also of the worker towards the the owner of the business and the effort that this represented by the church to keep uh, a revolution at bay the communist revolution and then of course that we can apply today to build up true morale and teamwork and collegiality in our offices or in our workplaces uh today where does this leave us well the, the Pope Leo spells out a real vision for leadership for each one of us who are Christians in the workplace because he says the role of the church in all of this is that the church puts forth a real vision for humanity. And that vision is to say that every human being is made for a life of virtue. The thing that we should all be shooting for and striving for in life is to live a life of virtue. That means a life which is where the spiritual has the pride of place and where everything physical and emotional inside of me is structured and ordered, so to speak, by towards that spiritual reality where I love in other words and I respect in other words and I, and I, and I have character and dignity and pride in what I do. This is where all people are equal doesn't really matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you have a sense of dignity to yourself, that's the real measure of a human person. Well, that, that inner dignity of, of a spiritual person who has a soul and intelligence and a will that independent of their social uh, level in society or their economic level, that inner working, that's the place of Christianity. Christianity, in other words, is going to try to help the poor. It's going to try to make sure that the rich uh, reach out and support the poor by generosity. But it's our first gain or aim is not to make the rich poor and the poor rich. Our first aim is to sanctify both conditions by making the poor and the rich truly human. And, and we now take the poor and the rich economically out of the question for a second. Apply this then to those who are really quick on their feet and those who are slow thinkers or those who are really great at manual things and those who are, are really great at spreadsheets, those who are really gifted at presenting and those who are really gifted at, at other things but might not be gifted at presenting, right? You, you can kind of see all of the different levels of inequality in our world and you can apply the same thing to them. The goal of Christ is not to say that the great shouldn't be great at what they do. And that there aren't people who are less gifted than others. No. The goal and the, the message of Christianity is to say all 
should be animated by a spirit of love inside of them that allows them to not only respect the others who are different, but bring their talents into a synergy with their own so that together we can construct a truly genuine human family. But we got to get over this emphasis that we are hearing, hearing so often in our world today and from Christians and from non-Christians that just emphasizes the material, the money, the power, the position, the blue ribbons at the fair, you know, which really aren't the goal anyway. All those things are important, but they're important because they're at the service of a human soul who themselves are called to a, a knowledge of God, right? That transcends the world and that gives everything else its proper place. And the Christian church is there to bring the focus on that. And by bringing the focus on that, allows there to be uh, an a self-acceptance and a respect. A respect for the manual laborers, for their strength, their grit, their dedication, right? For the knowledge of the material that their tasks and skilled labor really represent. Uh, for the dedication of unskilled labor and, 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 and the sheer grittiness that they endure of temperatures that vary and all kinds of conditions that can change every day, the vicissitudes even of their managers. And yet they persevere, right? The greatness and the talents of those who are able to start businesses, who are strategic in their thinking. Everyone serves each other when everyone comes at it from a perspective of the love of God. And this is where the Christian leader is powerful and why Christ puts Christians into business leadership. It's so that we can exert that sane influence that sobers the, the, the environment and keeps us from getting so excited about things that in the end are less than us and can cause strife and division that can be ruinous to our society as a whole. We can, we can cleanse the whole environment by showing a constant respect for the soul, by bringing people upward, by reaching out to the, those who are underprivileged with true concern, by enhancing the gifts of those who are gifted, to, by making them a generous outpouring of support towards those less fortunate than them. We can, we can harmonize our world by directing it upward towards the God whom we know and who has claimed us. Right? This is the power of the Christian leader. The, and and it's, what, it's what keeps us from a revolutions, so to speak, in all forms, which end up with two sides polarized and trying to destroy one another. Our vocation is to bring wherever we are that peace that comes from true love. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.